Hey guys, welcome back to another episode of the All Things Strength and Wellness Podcast. I am your host, as always, Robbie Burke, and we are brought to you by upmentorship.com, one of the top strength and conditioning resources available online today. This episode's guest is Dr. Liam Hennessy of Satanta College. Liam is an exercise physiologist, strength and conditioning coach, former international athlete, and the current academic director of Satanta College here in Ireland. On this episode, Liam and I discuss many topics, including Liam's background and influences, the good and not so good things that Liam sees within the physical preparation profession, Liam's training philosophy, coaching pedagogy and its need to be part of more of the educational programs for coaches, mastery of one's craft, Liam's top resources and advice, the future of Satanta College, and much more. This was a really great episode, guys, and I hope you enjoyed. Okay, Dr. Liam Hennessy, it is an absolute pleasure and an absolute honor to have you come on to my podcast. You've been someone who I've been wanting to get on for a long time now. But just for the listeners, Liam, who might be too familiar with who you are, which I would imagine won't be too many, uh, just fill us in on the background. Bobby, you flatter me there with that introduction. Um, <laughs> Okay, my background, well, uh, okay, I think I'm involved in sport and exercise directly for the last 37 years, so my background is, that's what it is, sport and exercise science, and I started out originally, I think my first team to coach was the Capital White Senior Hurlers way back in 1978, Wow. no, 78, 79, yeah, sometime around then anyway, Uh, I just come back from the States, I was over on a scholarship, an athletic scholarship, and I came back, coached then, but I was in, I was studying physical education in English at that stage in the old Holman College, which is now the University of Limerick. Mm. So since then, I've just been learning and just trying to learn more and get more in tune with how we can improve performance and how we can do it legally and cleanly, so to speak. Um, so, um, yeah, that's what I've been doing, and... Uh, when I finished as a, uh, my study as a PE teacher, I'd already developed a fascination for trying to find out how to improve performance because in my years in the States, you know, it was great experience, but you weren't going places if you didn't take drugs, Robbie, you know? Yeah, and that was yeah. the bottom line. And that was in the late 70s, and I was trying to get to the Moscow Olympics in 1980. And uh, I made the decision then, no, 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 look, I'm, I'm not taking drugs, that's it. I want to find out more about how we can progress and how we can develop and how we can get there cleanly and by using science, really. And back then, it was such a a limited and poorly studied area, you know, the science of performance. So I was very keen to continue on that, and I wound up doing two postgrad degrees, master's degrees, one in clinical physiology and one in in sports science, the last year in Loughborough University, which is a great university in the UK. And from there on then, I, I just kept studying and working. Now, when I say studying, I mean, I mean it in the, the sense of, yeah, pursuing it academically, but more so being there, out there in an applied, practical way, Robbie, which I think is often not appreciated as the real core of learning, you know, by doing on a daily basis, by working with, um, so yeah, that's 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 what I've been doing. Um, 
Oh gosh, I'm only up to the 1980s now. <laughs> that, seems, that seems a long time ago. So what did I do then? Well, yeah, I, I worked in the Blackrock Clinic for years as a, as a clinical physiologist, and that allowed me then work with Olympic athletes over a six-year cycle. Before, sorry, uh, over yeah, over um, after Barcelona and beyond Atlanta. And so I had to look after 149 card of athletes to physiologically test them and see if I could help them in any way. And it was a real interesting learning curve, that. And then after that, having left the Blackbird Clinic, I worked with professional football in Europe. Um, I was working at that stage with the fledgling Irish Rugby Academy with Stephen Abood, a great, great director of coaching. And uh, I was also working with with the first professional team in Leinster, the Leinster rugby team, um, working with Mike Ruddock, who's still coaching, thankfully, uh, working with a few other great coaches, Paul D, uh, Jim Glennon, uh, the great AK, the great Alan Kelly, was a physio back then, and we had wonderful times in the fledgling years of professional rugby. Then I went to work with professional soccer in Europe, and then I came back, um, having done a few years there, and was appointed the Director of Fitness with the IRFU in 2000. And that's when we started the whole systematic review and development of systems and programs for development of the modern professional rugby player. Um, I finished that in 2010, got a cancer then, in two, no, later uh, on that got struck with cancer, which was an interesting experience. And then since then, we've been really busy working on the whole education front again. You know, Robbie, um, I'm still coaching my athletes, you know, coaching uh, athletes from a diverse range of sports, from Paul de Carrington in golf to other golfers, to, to still being involved, I suppose, in, in mentoring many, I suppose, coaches and strength conditioning coaches as well. So, so yeah, it, it, um, it's a 37 years of just being involved in sport and exercise, Robbie. Yeah, it's a fantastic background, and um, you know, I just want to say, uh, as all is the work, congratulations. But you know, I'm usually delighted to hear that you've you've overcome your your bout with cancer. I I heard a while back you were ill, so it's great to great to see that you're back back in action. So fair play to you. Yeah, you know, that's an interesting one because it, again, you you kind of find out stuff that you really didn't appreciate. And mm. um, the one thing I can tell you is that the female hormone doesn't do, do us any good, Robbie. Yeah. Um, and it is part and parcel of the management of, of the cancer I have. But interestingly, I'm up to a maximum of nine minutes a day of intense exercise. So in a typical week, I will personally get probably no more than 30 minutes max exercise, but it's enough to keep muscle mass up. It's enough to keep all my joints strong. And it manages that important thing for me which is hormone balance mm, mm. Um, so that's been an interesting um, so you know the, the post cancer survivors you know exercise is so important for them the type of exercise is and it's been an interesting study as well to see what works well for me in that so all that's been been, been a positive experience for me you know yeah I know that uh, down in, in Edacown some of the Australian researchers are doing a lot with exercise and cancer uh, I think uh, Comey's one who's doing it, and I think even Robert Newton has done some work with exercise and cancer. But uh, 
Yeah, definitely. It's cancer is an area I, I've read up on myself. Now I'm definitely no nowhere near an expert, but it's it's a it's a very interesting um, very interesting uh, study for sure. Yeah, and you know, it's, look, survivors of cancer now, thankfully, 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 survivors yeah. are growing in terms of outcomes and better outcomes. So it's a really interesting area to study because, um, you know, much like studying gerontology or the age population or special populations or, or um, those with disease and disorder, you know, exercise is such an important part of it. So it, it Look, there's loads of scope for future research and an awful lot of benefits to be derived from that as well. Yeah, big time. Liam, a, a question I love to ask all my guests is, who, who would you say has been the biggest influences on you, both professionally and personally? Oh, well, <clears throat> professionally there are some, oh gosh, if I was to individual, if I was to name individuals, I'd probably be doing a disservice to the so many. But along the way, look, I can go so far back, Robbie, and say to you, you know, that interestingly as well, that influences can be from a negative point of view as well, if you know what I mean. Like, in other words, when you see something not being done the way they should be in that, that can often have a, a big influence. So as, I know it's a kind of a negative way of looking at this, but I've seen so many um, coaches deliver bad practice that I said, wow, that's that's amazing, you know, you know, I I don't want to do that. <laughs> so I learned from that. But look, the, on the positive side, there have been so many positive influences, and I've been very, very grateful going way back. I mean, look, um, interestingly, Philip Conway, who was a great coach here in Ireland, he was a coach that revolutionized throwing in Ireland from the 70s through the 80s and produced so many fine throwers in athletics. He's a retired physical education teacher, but Philip was one of my first mentors. Um, my old pole vault coach, Father Lavelle, now since Ted, God rest him. Um, Declan O'Donoghue, God rest him as well, a great coach from Limerick Athletic Club, one, an inspiring man. And then I had many, many great people through my education years in college, such as PJ Smith, um, my old professor, who is a real academic, Tony Watson. Um, George Gandhi was a great mentor of mine in Loughborough. Um, uh, Dietmar Schmidt-Leicher, University of Frankfurt. Um, Dietmar was a great neurophysiologist, and I've worked a lot with Dietmar and his students, um, uh, Andre Schlumberger. But I also worked a lot and had a great time and regularly would be in communication with him, and i got to get back with, with, with him again for conversation. Is Alvar Mail, Alvar Mail based um, in the USA. But there have been so many others as well who have been hugely supportive and I've learned so much from them. And they're my colleagues as well. And my colleagues would be all those who have been, I have had the pleasure of working with, in, let's say, in the IRFU for years. Uh, guys like Des Ryan, Philip Morrow, you know, Aidan, uh, Darren Cork, uh, Fergal O'Callaghan, you know, Jason and uh, JD, all the guys. Um, Craig White, who has who's moved on from rugby as well. Look, the list goes on and on. And, and currently, you know, there's a guy that I, I really enjoy talking with and shooting the breeze, so to speak, and reflecting and, you know, critiquing. So it's an ongoing, <clears throat> it's an ongoing kind of adding to the list of those who are huge 
Jason Glass is over. Jason is over in Canada. He's up one of the TPI guys. So is <clears throat> so is um, Dave Phillips, um, and all the guys there in TPI. Greg Rose, they're wonderful guys, and you know Mike, Mike Martino, Lauren Landau. Geez, there's so many of them that inspire. Gary Schofield is, is a mm. great high school coach. Mm. I could, the list goes on, Robbie. I could just keep talking all day about the great people that I've had the fortune to, to meet and, 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 and to work alongside, and, and if not work alongside, to sit and, and have conversations about performance. Yeah, yeah. That's a, that's a fine list of people you've put there. And I'd also be very, very good friends with uh, Al Vermeil. I, I got to spend actually two days in his home in Cincinnati back in 2015, and we'd, we'd converse an awful lot through email and through Skype. And I actually met Lauren Lando as well in um, in Altus in, in Phoenix, Arizona back in December. So he's a great guy too. So I got, okay. I, got to, I got to meet a few of those guys as well, so it's great. Um, and I, I, yeah, you know, Al, a mutual... A mutual um colleague of Alan and mine is, is Dietmar Schmidtleicher mm. and now you know God bless uh, Carmela Bosco who since died but Al is probably one of the few as you know he has three world title kind of rings you know the three rings and I mean he's Al's insight into team sport individual sport is phenomenal and um, he's still hale and hearty and uh, I think uh, it was Dick his brother was the Seminole coach with yeah, the yeah. Philadelphia Eagles, that great kind of, um, it was really a good movie, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah, but the, um, one of the guys he drafted, he had an open draft, and this uh, this amateur guy who came out of nowhere yeah. played for him, yeah, that's correct, yeah, and Dick, Al loves Dick, he, he, like, he just adores Dick, and they're very close, because I, I know that from conversing with Al, but yeah, Dick has a big influence on Al. Yeah, you know, so, so look, we, we you know, I, Al has been here, he's been with us here in Ireland, and um, I'm looking forward to catching up with him because I have a few questions for him mm. um, in relation to the spread shortening cycle and that. And that's the kind of thing that is, is so good, Robbie, that, you know, there's guys like Al and um, who are around, and Ian, Ian Jeffries, who's a very close colleague of mine, a professor over there at the University of South Wales, Ian, and, you know, and there's so many that, oh, I must... I say to myself, oh, I must give, I must give Ian or Al a call and have a chat with him about this. So that's the kind of relationship we have as well, which is wonderful. Yeah, yeah, it's it's uh, he, he actually just lately he's been emailing me a lot of his recent presentations and and he's kind of uh, tweaking and updating his athletic development hierarchy and he's put a lot of new information in regards to the stress shortening cycle and uh, elastic reactive strength capability. So because uh, and as well he was actually he emailed me maybe about I'd say six weeks ago looking for your your number and your email so that was kind of how, how I also reached out for the podcast so he, he's definitely a really um he definitely wants to speak to you for sure anyway so I'd say he'd be delighted that you want to speak to him as well I know that last conversation I I, I I live in a place maybe unintentionally this just drops sound just drops the signal like uh, like you and I we couldn't get on the Skype there quite well mm. and uh, the last time I was talking to Ed I think it just went bang and uh, so yeah i got to get back to him again and continue that conversation yeah 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 that's great uh liam i, I like to ask this question to my guests um in, in regards to sports science and human performance what are the things that excite you the most and then on the other end of that question what are some of the things that disappoint you and with with the things that disappoint you 
what sort of solutions would you put in place? So like what, what excites you and then the things that don't excite you, that disappoint you, what solutions would you offer? Okay, great question, Robbie. And look, I, I can sum it all up in one word, technology. Yeah. Um, technology has so much potential, but there's so many pitfalls and problems associated with it. Now, ironically, it's probably not the technology that has the pitfall or has the issue or has the negative element. It's probably our understanding and our lack of insight and our lack of capability in being able to use it. So on the one hand, yeah, technology excites me. For example, look, we, we, we've been using GPS for the last ooh, 16 years. Um, and originally, when I, I remember sitting down with, with uh, Alan Clark of Statsports many, many years, I think it was 2006. And before that, we'd been using technology uh, with the original Timex watches. And we were, I think, the first to use them to uh, look at uh, performance in sport. Um, certainly this side of the of the world and our study was on referees I had a few referees and it was really interesting because we could track their movement patterns and then devise training programs for them based on that and I remember saying back in 2000 2001 well this, this will catch on real quickly and every team will be using it but it wasn't until 2007 that Irish rugby teams started using it so that was seven years later Robbie so Technology is huge potential, and GPS and the derived and associated kind of technologies like, you know, MEMS technology, microelectromechanical sensors, and uh, wearable technology. All of this offers huge potential for us. Um, we're using, for example, EMG clothing now to detect muscle activation and balance, and we're seeing a lot of interesting things in relation to fatigue. You know, when somebody gets fatigued, let's, let's say, early or late in the game, what happens to the muscles? You know, some muscles are shutting down literally, and others have to take over. Um, and this causes, and is definitely an associated factor with a lot of the common injuries we see. So, we have instruments and technology now that can help us an awful lot. And it can really drive our practices, you know, so that we look after our sport, athletes, our part, recreation participants, be they professional or amateur, an awful lot better. However, however, there are two key things. One, there is a, an attitude of mm, mm, questioning the technology and is it actually helping us? Uh, or is it allowing us, is it, is it doing what it should do as in helping us make better decisions? Mm. And I'm afraid it's not. I don't see it helping us make decisions if it's not being well interpreted. If the information the technology gives us isn't in the hands of somebody who knows what it means, or who has the experience of being able to coach. In other words, there's a, there's a key link needed between technology and coaching. And that's the craft, Robbie. That's what I would call craft. You know, we call, is, is, is coaching a science or an art? Well, I'd be saying, really, it's a, it, it should be a craft, because it should blend science and art. Mm -hmm. Science being, you know, what what the scientific studies tell us, what technology tells us. The art is so critical. The art is how you relate to people, how you communicate, you know, how you understand what, you know, what experiences have you accumulated. And in between then, you get the craft. If you can marry both, and then that's my point. My point is that the greatest potential, probably lie in technology, 
but it will never be realized if we don't study it, get to understand it, and link it with the art of coaching. So there it is. That's a long-winded, rambling way of saying, yeah, technology is, it excites me. But implicit in it is the need to marry it with the art of coaching. And without the art of coaching, we won't be making good decisions based on what we get from technology. Yeah, that's a great, that's a great answer. And I've, I've heard that point brought up by a lot of other you know, colleagues in the field that if the technology is great, but it seems to be a lot of people are collecting data for data's sake and, and they're not necessarily doing anything with that to make better decisions in terms of uh, in, in terms of how to modify training be for their athletes or the team that they're involved in. So it's a it's a fantastic answer. You know, obviously innovation is a great way and it's it's one huge part of evolution and but at the same time if, if we don't really know what to do with that information it, it can be seen as a bit of a a uh, negative thing too so that's a great answer yeah and look as we speak you know no matter what we think as a, an old-fashioned coach and, and Al and myself and Ian Jeffries and many others would be what we would call old-fashioned simply because we've been around for many decades um, we'd appreciate that technology is certainly certainly hugely beneficial but there is so much noise and data uh, being derived from us um, and sports scientists, analysts and that just don't have the background to be able to kind of filter out what's meaningful. And when I say background, I mean that day-to-day, face-to-face understanding, which you can never get away from, Robbie. And look, this is one of the one of our challenges. It's one of our challenges. And look, it's a chance, you know, and I have no problem saying it. We're, that's what we're about. We, we, we like to help coaches, help them make better decisions in using technology. But look, we're starting the championship in, in, in football in Harley. Okay, the rugby season is coming to an end, so to speak. You know, there's a lot of great sport. Well, the finals in the rugby stage is to come, and then there's the line tour, and then there's the gate, and we've all some along with Gaelic. But by gosh, here's an interesting one. The incidence of hamstring strain is increasing by 4% each year over the last 15 years of professional soccer. Mm. Now, how can we marry that and how can we kind of get our heads around that when the growth in technology and in science has paralleled that, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Why are there more and more and more soft tissue injuries occurring year on year in professional sport when we have all this information around us to help us make better decisions? I suggest it's not the technology that's the issue. It's our application and use that might be issue you know yeah definitely and and you know you you mentioned satanta there now so i know i definitely want to talk about satanta but just before we get into sort of the, the history and how it came about i see that you now are offering a uh, professional master's in performance science and one of the reasons for that was kind of what you're touching on here is that a lot of people were just coming to you asking listen like i know nothing about all this technology in sport and is there anywhere i can get educated on so like things like gps systems and you know, data analysis. So maybe do you want to just touch on why you felt the need for Satanta to provide this professional master's in performance science? Yeah, like you summed it up there, Robbie. Robbie, really, it, it, it's based on the fact that technology is all around us mm. and we can't ignore it. Um, rather than dismiss it and kind of park us to one side, we've got to embrace it. But to embrace it, we've got to understand the basics, the principles, the mechanisms, what's out there. 
So coaches were constantly asking us, look, we're struggling with this. I mean, I've, you know, I've traveled to some friends over in the Premiership and I sat with the coaches and they said, look, look, the strength and conditioning coach is really struggling with the heart rate variability system or with the new, the new GPS system over that. And we'd say, well, look, yeah, that's, that's common now. That, that's the message we're getting. And they'd be saying, well, what can you do to help us? And I, I would say, look, okay, let's, let's, let's kind of work with your coach. But then, uh, the, the requests were, were fast and furious. So we said, well, look, there's no probably way we can spread ourselves too thinly. And so therefore the master's program came about and it's informed by some of the leading, um, minds in sport. But these minds are not just technical minds. They're ones that are very practical and applied minds. So yeah, that's how it came about. It came about from the constant requests we were having it. So how can we, how can we deal with this technology? How can we use this effectively? So look, while the performance master is technologically focused, it does explain in very simple, as I say often, uh, Fred Flintstone terms, you know, how you use this, how, what is it used for, but more importantly, how you interpret the information you're getting and how you take the noise out. So yeah, look, that, that was the, the, the genesis or the, or, the, or the origins of our program. And yeah, we're, we're, we're very happy with Bobby. But the key thing is, it changes regularly. Mm-hmm. And that's important. You know, we, we have to keep pace with the changing technologies that's out there in sports science and in strength and conditioning. And we're delighted to be able to <clears throat> have the latest technologies and products to trial them out so we can evaluate them as well. And that's a key part of the program that we run. Yeah, great stuff. I suppose getting into the 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 broader history of Satanta, how did Satanta College come about? I, I, I'm obviously I'm a previous student there. I studied back there in 2008 and nine, um, and it was back then it was it was just a certification. You you were just trying to get your accreditation as a degree and get in with UL and and uh, the TIT down Turles and Tipperary, and just to see the growth of Satanta in the last you know eight, nine years is incredible. So maybe just bring us through that journey of, of how that vision has come to fruition. And to, it's, it's an amazing accomplishment for sure. Well, Robbie, I'll tell you, back in uh, 2000, when I became uh, head, uh, head of uh, director of fitness with the IFU, we had two employees, two full-time employees. So we needed to get, we needed to get every province well supported with strength and conditioning coaches. Now, back then, the word strength and conditioning was, wasn't really um, common. Mm. So the fitness advisors that we had, okay, we, we eventually wound up, I think, in 2003, using the term strength and conditioning because it was becoming more and more common in, in, in pro sport. But we were struggling to find uh, practitioners, strength and conditioning coaches, who really had the mix of science, as we say, methods, and the practical coaching skills. Yeah. So we set up what we call the Certified Conditioning Coach Program, which was a, a program to educate those who were interested in the area. So it's out of that that the whole Santa program grew because we were repeatedly getting requests across different sports and also from you know, fitness advisors, trainers in different countries. Could they come on the program? And yeah, it's out of that that it grew. Um, and out of that as well grew our program to support World Rugby now, where we've had over 30,000 students worldwide taking our, our basic level program. Wow. So look, yes, when you were 
when you were doing your your um, period there with stance as well in the 08 or 09, 10, we were we were looking at formalizing a degree in strength and conditioning, mm. and so we were happily yeah we became the first uh, full time and online deliverer of a degree in 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 Ireland. So that was that was a nice uh, goal achieved, and that allowed those who were who were involved in training teams up and down the country, be they whatever sport, at an amateur level, at part-time level, it allowed them to say, well, look, here is a meaningful program of study that will really give the insight, the understanding, the knowledge, the competencies and skills to allow, you know, get up and running and really provide first and foremost safe practice for, for all their um, teams or athletes. So it's grown into a master's program and we have a, a couple of different options on master's program. But we're moving as well, Robbie, into a lot more shorter CPD programs now because there is a need for that as well. And it's like saying, as we've been discussing, you know, technology is uh, changing on a day-to-day basis. So we see that we have to change as well on a, uh, on not quite on a day-to-day basis, but systematically to keep up with, you know, getting information out there and making life easier for the coaches who are out there. So, yeah, look, it grew out of originally a, a need in Ireland that we have uh, coaches who could do the job and deliver um, a program of development for professional athletes, particularly rugby initially. So it's out of that that it grew and has become a, a kind of a, thankfully, a fairly well-spread program of study around the world now. Yeah, great stuff. Uh, a question I, I love to ask every coach who comes on to the, to, to, to the podcast if I was to pose the question to you, what is your strength and conditioning philosophy? Uh, now, I know some people, they mightn't like the term philosophy because they, they believe that to be a bit subjective. So they might say principles. So if you want to use the word philosophy or principles, you can choose which either one you want to go with. But uh, if I was to say to you, what, what is your overall strength and conditioning philosophy when it comes to the uh, development of any individual athlete or team that you are working with? You know, what are your big rocks that you like to abide by? Okay, now we could go into a, <laughs> a very long debate on this, but you're right, I, I think, in, in the sense there, philosophy is probably a challenging thing because it, 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 it forces you to pin you down. Um, I would think that you've summed it there. My philosophy is that it's, there is no one fixed method mm. that will suit because you must know the individual first. So the first philosophy that I would have is they don't have any fixed mind set about how you do things. Yeah. You know, have an open mindset. Um, and that mindset then, if it's there, will allow you to be flexible in how you deal with whoever, be it a team, be it a, an individual. And the one, and the second, so so first thing I'd say, my philosophy would simply be, don't have a fixed mindset mm. in how you approach the development of any group or team. Secondly, never copy. So my, my philosophy would be very simple. Don't copy anybody. Be careful when you're listening to this, or me talking, or reading something, or, or whatever. Be very careful because what works for my athletes may not work for yours, simply yeah. because you know them better. I don't know them. And what I do is based on the individual. It's based on their individual responses, their individual needs, the environment in which they're in. Believe it or not, their value system, how far they have to push themselves, the, the limitations in where they are. Are they professional? Are they amateur? Are they sitting at a desk and then you get most of the time? Or are they out and about? 
So firstly, don't have a fixed mindset. Be number two, don't copy. Number three, in extremes lie danger. We tend to want to get there quickly, Robbie, in, in an awful lot of what we do. And we you know, that's that's a recipe for disaster literally. Because the whole pro program of development takes time and patience. Yeah. And it's a two-way thing. In other words, it takes time for both the coach and also for the athlete. And to get that message across is so important. I've been lucky enough to work with someone like Paul Carrington for 22 years now. And each year, uh, we, we, things change. You know, Things change in him and in me and in the environment in which we live in and in the, in the, in the technical element of the game and the technology element of the game. So we've got to be flexible. So that'll be a fourth one. Um, be flexible as well. Um, and then I suppose, rather than go on, the final one is that no matter what, it's all about communicating. You know, mm. if you can't communicate, mm. um, you're, you, the best program, the best program in the world is no use. It's certainly a key thing that, again, going back to the art of coaching, the art of coaching is founded on a relationship and on communication. And so these are skills that are often not acknowledged as, as being core and key. They are. If you can't sit with and review, if you can't encourage your athletes or work with your athletes um, um, on a day-to-day basis and have patience and have a, well, on the other hand, then have targets and that, that's all delivered through communication and relationship. So there'd be the, the core, I suppose, elements of my philosophy, Bobby. Mm. Uh, and, you know, you, you brought up some great points there. And this idea of communication, a question I did want to ask you on was your opinion on coaching pedagogy because uh, I'm I'm actually doing a master's in, um, through St. Mary's in Twickenham and one of our pro- uh, projects was kind of around this this concept of the coach athlete relationship and I, I read a lot on like self determination theory and 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 those sort of areas and you know that the more autonomy we can give to our athletes generally that's and making it more of an athlete centered approach reading on that concepts and um uh again just just re- reading up on uh, co- coaching pedagogy and the, the, the kind of the the sort of background or the the feel that seems to be out there is that it's such a soft science that it's it's been sort of underestimated and how powerful it is in the overall training and physical preparation of athletes. So, in your sort of you know view, how important do you think coaching pedagogy is in terms of it needing to be part of curriculums now of coaching education going forward? Because uh, it, it seems you know where the coaching education is so saturated with the more harder sciences if you like you know of biomechanics and uh you know physiology etc and there doesn't seem to be that much emphasis put on actual you know how to communicate with athletes and the, and the pedagogy of how to be an effective coach and leader so do you think that going forward in the education and sports science and in and for strength and conditioning coaches alike that you know coaching pedagogy will play a bigger role in the course material yeah, Robbie, I think I think what you summarized there is is it in a nutshell. The hard sciences, you know, okay, physiology, biomechanics, okay, nutrition, etc. These are well established sciences. 
Mm. Even the whole field of strength conditioning methods, the methods that we use, um, you know, velocity-based training, you know, okay, plyometrics, you know, various permutations of speed developments and all of that. Look, one of the things I remember doing as part of a PhD way, way, way back was trying to distinguish what are the key factors involved in success in, um, in team sport. And when we applied all the hard tests and the hard sciences, there were no differences between those who were reaching finals. What was separating was was the mind, the mindset. Mm. What, was, what was actually working there wasn't just who was more motivated, who was more committed. It was more of a subtle, softer um, value system of, um, okay, I'm, this is important not for, for me, but for my teammates. It was a relationship thing as well. And so the smallest differences were beginning, we were, I was beginning to see that these were not to do with how high you jump or your stretch arms or how fast you run. They were to do with the far more softer, less uh, quantifiable um, sides, which are to do with your values as well, Bobby. And that soft emotional intelligence that, that understanding, that support, that commitment um, that's brought to everybody, the lack of self, the lack of doubt, the reliance on others, uh, all, of these, all of these softer skills. So educating and imparting to the athletes all of this, but it's not push. It's, you know, in, in, in other words, it's not, it's not pushing this into the athletes. It's kind of coaxing and nurturing and fostering that as well. In other words, there's a saying that we have, uh, and it's all about nurturing. You know, uh, the, if you if you nurture an athlete, regardless of their age and level, and that that means, I suppose, it's like a gardening thing. It's like a, if you nurture the soil, if you prepare the soil properly, and then mm. you plant the, whatever it is, the seed, there's a far far greater opportunity to grow. So yeah, the soft side, um, and the pedagogy, is growing now as a movement. I think is a response to the overemphasis that there has been on the harder methodologies uh, from a point of view of performance. Um, so I'm delighted to see that because that's the way it should be. It should be a balance between the two. In other words, yeah, you can use technology, you can use science, but please don't, please don't rely on us. Please see the human because humans are not robots as much as we think they might be. And in any given team, <clears throat> You'll have responders and non-responders to any even method. If your soft sciences, like your pedagogies and your understanding of these, aren't tuned into um, tuned into those responders and non-responders, well, you won't be effective. Uh, you know, Philip Morrow, Philip, who's with Saracens, his strength conditioning coach, Saracens. Philip, Philip, and Mark McCall, Deepos, and Saracens. It's all based on. Look, give them an ordinary program. Give the players an ordinary program. That they believe in and that they can work with you with, they will they will perform. Yeah. Give them a great program, great methods, great science behind it. And if they don't believe in you or if you don't have a relationship, it's very hard for them to gain from it. So the, the, the principle is is that yes, pedagogy, but the softer skills, the relationship skills, huge and often under undervalued. And this is another thing I know that guys in Crow Park pack. 
Pat Daly has been leading the charge on this, on, on a fundamental review of why and how we, 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 we relate within sport. And it's all to do with the value system as well, Bobby. Mm. And I'm, for one, somebody who's very keen on promoting that as well. Yeah, I mean, that's all fantastic stuff. And it's, it's brought up some points here that I've written down in my notes. And uh, when I was over at Altus in Phoenix, Arizona, I did a three-month internship at Altus under Sue McMillan um, with the short spiritual group at Altus. And I got to meet up with uh, the sports psychologist who works with the Oakland Raiders. And he also works with the uh, sprinters and, and all the athletes at Altus. His name's Mark, uh, Mark Strickland. And he said in one of his talks that um, the most important... Uh, determining factor in the success between a coach and an athlete or a coach and, and his athletes if he's dealing more in a team sport was trust um, and he, he, uh, he, he said that there is a lot of literature to back that up and yeah I think I think that that's why I wanted to ask your opinion on, on coaching pedagogy and, and also to, to also discuss the importance of emotional intelligence you know the, the more uh, time goes on we're starting to see that emotional intelligence is just as important if not more important than intellectual intelligence so and you kind of touched on it there and i've often heard the, the phrase you know a, a a poor program in design done really really well in terms of buy-in and trust is always going to be a brilliant program not done well in terms of there's no buy-in and no trust around it so you and you touched on that and you just worded it in a different way and uh Another thing too is that you know Mike Boyle always talks about nobody cares how much you know until they know how much you care. So he always says that quote. And Mike is obviously one of my early mentors, and that was one thing I, I appreciated early on in my coaching career. And I'm so grateful that he he imparted that bit of wisdom to me. Yeah, and you see there, Robbie. Again, you're touching on things that are so important. Is it? You will meet individual coaches or athletes, be they along this journey, and. The relearnings are those kind of learnings that come from relationship communication, and they are often in that emotional engagement. Absolutely. Um, and that emotional intelligence. Look, look. The you know Carol Dweck. You know her her, her seminal work on on mindset. mindset. Yeah. And fixed mindset is also very tied up in that. Yeah. And and you know too often we 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 we, we kind of we don't. By the way, coaches need to be coached and, and assisted and, and nurtured as well as the athletes. Absolutely. There is a need for that, you know, for, for that side of the coin to be explored a lot mm. more as well. And, mm. you know, thankfully there is a lot more research and a lot more interest in it. But then who looks after the coach? Who coaches the coach? Yeah, look, we're, we're, we're doing that work in Satanta, but I see an awful lot of growth and need in that area as well. In other words, with the coaches... Um, mentoring and the coach's kind of softer side and their emotional intelligence has to be developed and broadened if they're going to progress and if their athletes are going to progress. Yeah, I mean, that, that like what you said there is really beautiful in, in terms of, you know, th that the coaches also need to sort of develop this this emotional intelligence in themselves. And anyone that's listened to my podcast, I mean, we're, we're well over the 100 mark, and I think of 110 uh, published and uh, um, at the time of this recording and by the time this comes out there'll be a lot more but uh anyone that listens to the podcast knows i'm a huge huge uh fan of epigenetics you know so epigenetics being the study of how the environment dictates an organism's expression and what epigenetics has really helped me to appreciate is that everyone and everything is the way they are for a reason you know and, and if we talk about human beings and in terms of why they are the way they are there's so many factors you know so 
I mean, their upbringing, uh, you know, the, the, the beliefs that they were indoctrinated with or conditioned with, be that, you know, consciously or subconsciously by the people in their environment. So, you know, religious beliefs, political beliefs, ideological systems. And I, I often tell people too, or I often share with people that, you know, humans are, are who they are for two main reasons, chronic reasons and acute reasons. And chronic reasons will be, again, things like your upbringing and the culture you're from and the environment. And then acute reasons will be anything from, like, your nutrition to your sleep to your circadian cycle, things that can, like, instantly have an impact on your biochemistry. And all those things have a huge influence on who you are in any given moment in time. So it's to, it's to be able to step back and come to appreciation and awareness that everyone and, and everything is the way they are for a reason. And, and once you kind of start to appreciate that and become aware that all you can truly have for yourself first and foremost and then towards others is, you know, unconditional love. If some people don't like that term, I mean, acceptance is just another way of putting that. And then compassion, empathy, understanding. And if you start to facilitate that within yourself, then you can start to share it with others. So as coaches, they're, they're definitely qualities that we need to seek and grow within ourselves and, and then be able to be able then to share those and pass them on to our athletes. And it's kind of like Gandhi saying, if you want to be the, if you want to change the world, be the change you want to, want to see in the world. So it's about facilitating growth and, and leading, leading uh, facilitating growth in ourselves and then being leaders ourselves. And our athletes will pick that energy up off us and, and they, their trust will be much more authentic with us then rather than, kind of the old school way of just do as I say and not as I do, you know, there's that duplicity going on that, you know, coach tells me to do this and that, but I don't think he's at peace with himself. I don't know if I can really trust the information he's telling me when, yeah. when, when these, when these things that he's asking me to, to do, you know, have confidence in myself and, and, you know, forgive myself. I make mistakes. It's okay. And I don't sense that same sort of love and forgiveness for himself, first of all. So yeah, it's, it's, it's definitely an interesting area, and I, and I think it's it's an area that's it's becoming more okay to speak about this idea of having acceptance for oneself and forgiveness and, again, unconditional love and compassion and empathy. Because, again, if you can facilitate it in yourselves, you can share it with others. And we, we mightn't put those words out consciously, but there are definitely things in the back of our mind we know that if we can facilitate in ourselves that it will definitely help our communication skills with, with the people in our environment and definitely with athletes in terms of coaching. So. It's uh, it's it's an area I love to talk about, you know, epigenetics and human behavior, and 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 how the environment shapes an organism, and environment shapes people, you know, everything from, again from your parents to your school and to, to your to your religious system yeah. to you know yeah. everything. And then, as I said, acute factors like you know your food, your nutrition, your sleep, those things can change in a, in an instant, and they can really determine how you feel in any moment in time. So it's just be able to appreciate all those factors. So, you know, it's it's really uh, really great to hear some of your experience you know, touch on a lot of those areas. So it's, uh, it's, it's great, great for the listeners to hear that too, you know. What you've got to do now, Rob, if you don't mind me saying so, is you've got to condense everything you've said there, <laughs> write it down and submit it as part of your project for your uh, pedagogy. Because yeah. I think you've captured key, key elements there. I've no doubt you're going to get a damn good result in that. When you've, do, when you've done, send me on a copy of it as well, because that's great stuff in that. And I think that is the cornerstone of, of, Maybe, what you said before, you know, the pedagogy, but the philosophy that needs to underpin um, any yeah. coaching style. Yeah, uh, it's, it's, uh, it's just, uh, I, I suppose the, the, the more I meet sort of, you know, uh, I suppose like what, what is an expert, that's the word that's come to mind, but people who are perceived to be the experts in the field or, or who, who have, who have, who have, offered a lot of great work in in the field that they're associated with you know obviously people like yourself and Oliver Meal and uh you know the likes of Mike Boyle and and um 
you know, Don Shu and, and these great, great uh, leaders in their field. And as you touched on, uh, Schmidt Blaker as well, Verkushansky, Mel Sif, all these great guys. Um, the, uh, the, uh, oh, my, my train of thoughts actually just after going there now, so it is. So I think you're on, you're on about kind of the fundamental kind of philosophies and values that are, are um, working underneath any coaching style. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, like the, the, like the, the they're all sort of coming to a similar sort of sort sort of place, even though they, they mightn't have intellectually had a conversation yeah. with one another, but they, they seem to always their message seems to be the same, but maybe maybe through a different sort of way, way of putting it in words and whatnot. But uh, yeah, it's it's um, yeah, it's it's definitely uh, it's definitely something I think that's that's in terms of pedagogy, it's it's definitely something that's going to uh, be much bigger within the coaching education going forward. I think you might see as well, I don't know, but there's a movement as well there, and I, I know the IRFU have advertised for one or two roles, I think they're called spirit officers. Wow. And their role is really to engage in the community and in schools and that, and to kind of foster a kind of a value system that may, might be, I suppose, largely left or, or largely ignored in a way. You know, what values are underpinning our, our involvement in sport? And look, I, I I go back to my early days. I mean, I made the decision when I was nineteen to say, no, I'm 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 leaving here. I'm 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 I'm, I'm I was in the states. I was on scholarship. Mm. I'm leaving. I, I I'm not going to. I made a phone call home. By the way, back then in nineteen seventy eight, seventy nine was a, a tough thing to make a phone call back to Ireland um, to get advice from somebody. And I was a member. Of, getting advice from two people that, that had a great time for and still have um, Philip Conway, as I mentioned earlier, an early mentor of mine, but also Al Guy. Al was the Athletics International Secretary, subsequently became a Chief uh, Doping Officer with the International Athletics Association. But they both kind of back then steered me in the right direction, thankfully. And when I say steered me in the right direction, helped me make better decisions based on value, based on the value of of honesty and integrity. That, now, that to me was was probably the start of my, my real, my, my, my involvement, my love for the pursuit of how, how we can help to make an athlete better. Yeah, while I went into the science big time, to keep coming out and saying, well, science is only, science is only kind of giving you a, a kind of a, a direction. But it doesn't give you a foundation of values that helps you relate. Um, and so all that you've mentioned there, Robbie, underpins. These are the foundations that underpin what we do on any given day, you know. Um, and it goes to the core of what we do. Mm. Actually, I, I remember what I was going to say when I lost my train of thought. What, what, what I was going to say was that, you know, all these, you know, again, we use the word experts, but people who are perceived to be the leaders in their field. So if we're talking about human performance and physical preparation and strength conditioning, they all seem to be people who are very uh, widely read. Like they don't, they don't just isolate or limit themselves to just reading literature within their own their own domain. Like they, they read many many fields that to most people would seem completely abstract. Like they, they can't see how you could link certain fields that they study to the profession that they're deemed to be an expert in. So guys like you know Dan Faft yourself. Mel Sif was one, Berkashansky. I know James Smith, the thinker, uh, you know, he's definitely a, a, a guy who reads well outside the realms of physical preparation. Stu McMillan, who's the head strength, the head sprint coach at Altus. If you were to sit down and talk with all these guys, 
they read in so many vast fields, you know, anything from nutrition to medicine to human behavior to autobiographies on some of the famous people yeah. throughout history. Like, they're very broad in their knowledge. They don't just, like, uh, stay within their own box, if you will. So that's what I was trying to say earlier on. I completely just lost my train of thought. I don't know why that was. Maybe I need to get some food or or, or something into me, yeah. But uh, yeah, if you if you speak, yeah. to, and 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 I, I see that too with even people who are like are like not even strength and conditioning coaches, but like top doctors, top health and wellness practitioners, you know, top sports people, they seem to have this breadth of knowledge yeah. where they they study many different fields. Again, anything from nutrition to medicine to history to politics to child development to like God, even organic agriculture, like everything. Like you look, look at someone like Paul Check, you know, deep knowledge in 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 many different areas. So. They seem to be more fans of having breadth of knowledge rather than depth in one specific area. And that's kind of one thing I've seen with all these these masters, if you like. So all these guys who have attained mastery in their particular craft, they seem to have this breadth of knowledge and, and they seem to love just just connecting dots of, of everything that's out there. And they see everything as a, as a whole rather than in these isolated parts. So that's a common theme I'm seeing. You know, you, it's, it's interesting. My good friend, uh, Prof. Ian Jeffries. Ian is, you won't mind me saying so, he's putting together a very, very intriguing article, hopefully to be published soon in the UK SCA journal, on uh, economics and strength and conditioning. Wow. You know, the lessons that the strength and conditioning coach can learn from economics. So, again, that's another example of what you said there. There is Ian, and he's, you know, this has been going around in his head for some time. Yeah. You know, there are certain principles within economics that, that can be very, very much applied into the field of strength and conditioning. But there you are, look, that's something um, over the next few months hopefully that will come out in the UK CHR. Yeah, absolutely. And that's that's basically the uh, one of the tenets of James Smith's latest book he brought out, the, the Govern Dynamics of um, of Coaching. Um, uh, to unify, uh, I'm trying to, the Govern Dynamics of Coaching is the name of it, but I think that the, the subtitle is the Unified Theory of physical preparation, I think that's the, the subtitle, but it's the main title is Govern Dynamics and Coaching, and I had him on the podcast when I interviewed him. That was basically sort of the tenet of that book is that he's linking like all these areas together, and uh, again, it's it's about these sort of having a breadth of knowledge in all these different areas and be able to combine it into this sort of holistic outlook rather than saying like you know you're a strength and conditioning coach, you're a physio, you do the stats, you do the rehabilitation in that he's like it needs to be one sort of collective holistic unit and then obviously as we spoke with there's a whole coaching pedagogy piece that goes into that and there's so many other areas and again even touching back on epigenetics and how an environment shapes an individual there's all that human behavior aspect and development so really everything's connected i mean i suppose if anyone's looked into like even quantum physics you know quantum physics just basically says everything is connected and that everything is just energy and vibration and like at, at a very fundamental level like so, uh, I mean, if you wanted to get really deep into it, you could, you could probably go as, as deep as physics and, and uh, quantum physics and then even mathematics. But, uh, yeah, it's just it's, it's, a, it's a trend I've seen that the, the more sort of the, the, the more sort of mastery a specific, a specific individual has in their particular craft, that the more I've noticed that they, they all seem to have this breadth of knowledge and they've never isolated themselves to one particular area. And they may be known to be an expert or a master in one particular craft, but it's because of their broad base of knowledge and that background that has supported them to be a master in their particular um, in, in their particular profession that they've chosen. Yeah, and you know, I mean, I know it's what's been, I suppose, bugging me for some time as well is, is within the 
specific field of strength conditioning is recognition. You know, I mean, the strength conditioning coach, regardless of, you know, where they're working, be it pro or amateur level or whatever, often, and it's an issue I think that's, that's quite important, is recognition. You know, mm-hmm. recognition of their actual um, competencies and their contribution. And it's something that I'm concerned about that's not really happening in a occurring, Bobby, you know. Um, and it was, they're often being taken for granted when, in fact, a strength conditioning coach may spend far more time, you calculate time, interfacing with any given player or athlete. Yeah. Um, their contribution is immense and huge. It covers all those areas that you've been speaking about. In other words, it's not just um, prescribing the program. It's encouraging, it's, you know, being there when things aren't going right and it's often being the year that is needed for the athletes to player. So recognition of the, of the profession is something I think that we all have a responsibility to kind of um, highlight. And recognition means, you know, uh, when, when we talk about um, strength conditioning coaches gaining experience, I think after they've been exploited by uh, crude and, and unfair internship roles, where, where they're not being appreciated. Now, we all need to get a staff. We all need to get experience. But I think the world of sport needs to kind of become a little bit more honest in how it's actually treating its, its staff, and in particular the, 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 the West Coast and the greater fatigue that is within the, the individual that is in strength condition. Mm. So anyway, there you go. That was a bit of a rant on my part. That's something that's wrong about sport and strength condition. Yeah, you're just you're slightly just breaking up there as well, or muffled a bit, Liam. I don't know if you moved. Oh, it probably was somebody else coming in online here. Robbie. There you go. No, I hear I can hear you clearly now. I don't know if you just moved or whatever, but it's still fine. It's all good. I know I know your time is limited here, so I just want to make sure I touch on the last one or two things. And uh, in in terms of some of the biggest mistakes and lessons you've learned over your career, what 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 would you say to that question? So, what what have been the biggest lessons you've learned through your career so far? Okay, well, here's the interesting thing. I think the biggest lessons are often learned from the mistakes you make. And, and again, I've made so many mistakes and we've made so many mistakes. There's been so many mistakes made. And often at the time, you're doing something with the best intentions. But if you don't reflect on and consider, well, how did that go? Even if you win or lose, the reflection is so important. And often... The mistake is not reflecting. The mistake mm. is all kind of trying just to move on and forget that. Um, so I've made that mistake numerous times. In other words, I said, oh, that didn't work out. Right, I'll move on. But when I started to hop on, so to speak, and say, hold on a minute, that's not working as well. Why is it not? Let me reflect on it. Let me talk to somebody. Um, then you begin to see. Then you begin to learn. So the biggest mistake I've made is not acknowledging how important not winning or losing or defeat is. In other words, or even making a mistake when things go wrong badly. That's an opportunity. That's a great opportunity to learn. It's a great opportunity to grow. So that's the mistake I and people in my field can make very easily. In other words, you cannot... uh, If you ignore mistake. So don't ignore a mistake. If things go wrong, embrace it. Question. Reflect. Talk about it. 
review and then grow from it. Mm. Yeah, the next time it may not be such a, a big issue. And there and by that I mean now you're now you're beginning to make meaningful change and things are more positive. So yeah, look, I would say my mistakes are, have been trying to uh, ignoring um avoiding reflection, you know, ignoring it and, and avoiding. So I would say to get better for me, and this would be a this is a self analysis, I need to be far more cognizant of hold on a minute now. This is not about me, this is about what's happening outside of me. So let's have a bigger picture and let's not take this personally. So that'd be another mistake I've made, taking things personally. Mm -hmm. After all in sport, you lose more than you win. And so therefore you've got to bolster yourself, be more resilient. And yet be very pragmatic and say, hold on a minute, this wasn't about me. This was about a, a bigger picture. So I'm going to be proactive in this. I'm going to reflect, ask, seek help. And maybe seeking help is the other part of that equation. We need to just speak and seek help. You know, coaches need mentors. You know, they need people who they can rely on and speak with. And, and um, that's a very important mistake that we can make, thinking we know it all as well. Yeah, I mean, uh, I, I had a deep discussion about this with James Smith when he was on my podcast, this idea that I, I think, again, it comes from our condition, and for, for most people, their condition as they grow up, that they see criticism or they see mistakes in a negative fashion where, you know, again, it goes back to maybe Carol Dweck and her fixed versus growth mindset. People with growth mindset see mistakes as a positive thing. They don't see... Uh, they don't see they don't yeah. see mistakes or, or or criticism as obstacles. They see them as opportunities to 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 further facilitate growth within themselves. And you know, you, you brought up a good point there too of um of ego. And I think e ego is a huge thing that not only in coaching but in just in life that it's something that all yeah. of us sort of battle with and struggle with. And I think we need to realize that, particularly when we're a coach, it's not about us. It's about us facilitating our athletes and. You know, you made a great point there too about you know taking things personally. There's a great book called the Four, the Four Agreements, and one of the agreements in it is not to take anything personally. And there's a great line in that book where uh, Don Miguel Ruiz, who wrote the book, says uh, to, to to take things personally is one of the highest levels of selfishness because you think everything is about you. So again, going back to your ego, we need to realize yeah. that it's not about you at all. It's if if anyone is ever quote unquote offending you, it's it's more so an insecurity in themselves, and they're just outputting that insecurity onto you because you happen to be the person who is who is there in the moment with them and and, uh, and again if you're taking it if you are taking it personally it's because of your ego again you, you think that the process is about you when it's when it's really not so it's uh yeah, yeah it's great yeah it's great great points um finally Liam just in terms of advice that you would give to any of the coaches listening and, and uh just basically your top advice and it doesn't have to be just limited to uh you know uh, the, the the realms of physical preparation or or you know just strength conditioning or sports science it could be any type of advice more sort of life advice if you will yeah I think I think we've touched on a good bit there Robbie on that but certainly it is 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 always have somebody that you can communicate with and relate to and again from from a coach from a strength conditioning from a sports science point of view um. If you don't have one already, seek out a mentor. Seek out somebody mm. you can actually yeah. uh, open up with and um, converse with in a non-judgmental way. So that's number one. Uh, number two, again, we just said it there. Don't 
try not to take things personally. Resilience is very important in sport. Yeah. And that's simply because, as we've said, you lose more than you win. Look, um, Tiger Woods, the greatest golfer perhaps to date, you know, historically, and Jack Nicholson, all, you know, you can list them. But they've all lost more than they've won. Mm. You know, teams, Michael Jordan, yeah. uh, over 1,500 games, you know, he lost more than he won. He says, you know, it was in the losing that he learned more. Yes. Um, so we've got to appreciate that. But in order to be able to do that, you've got to be resilient. You can't let it get you down. And, and, and that's the third point. You know, there are a lot of pressures now uh, in terms of success in that. And if you're not succeeding in whatever walk of life, you think, oh, no, I'm a I'm failing in this, but no, no, listen, <laughs> we've got to understand that we will lose more than we win in any role in life. And so it doesn't mean that you have a, a dismissive attitude. It just means that you, you build resilience to be able to say, well, okay, well, let's, let's learn from this. So I think having a mentor, you know, being, being absolutely honest with yourself um, and, and not worrying, you know, building resilience about Losing because you will lose more in sport are all kind of part and parcel of that kind of, I suppose, those lessons that hopefully I, I, I'm applying and not, um, and I am hopefully I'm applying. And because, as we said earlier, if you're not doing it yourself, it's very difficult for those that you're with and those that you relate to to, to kind of sense that, you know, yeah, um, because it's often about sensing it getting a good feeling, you know, I'm in a good place. If, you know, that's where you want your athletes to be. You want them to grow. And listen, the, the other thing then is that sport is the amphitheater of life. We see an awful lot of uh, games. We see an awful lot of incidents and values and attitudes and emotions in condensed in a 70-minute game. And we see that on any given weekend. Um, so there's a responsibility that goes with it. There's responsibility by all, by, by not just the players, but those who support them. And when we see adults and parents on the sideline losing their heads because the referee blows the whistle um, and gives a free against their child, God, you know, we got to have some form of education for parents mm. because that's so important as well. You know, so, so sport as the amphitheater of life is a huge huge kind of show or stage where we transmit value. So we must appreciate that. We do responsibility as well. Absolutely. From an individual point of view, but a governance point of view as well. Yeah. Uh, absolutely. I mean, that's... I, mean, I couldn't agree more. I mean, I suppose everything we spoke about over the last hour has just been a reaffirmation towards both of us in terms of where we're currently at in, in our thinking on a lot of areas. So that's, that's beautifully put and you know, I, I think just one thing, uh, going back there to just mistakes and, and criticism, I think a big thing it comes down to is perception, you know. I mean, um, Victor Frankl wrote that beautiful book, Man's Search for Meaning. He, he always talks about the difference between, you know, humans. What, what really makes us humans and separates us from animals is our is our ability to choose, our freedom of choice. So between stimulus and response, we have the, the freedom to choose our response to the stimulus. So it's about educating people that you know you are in control of how you how you choose to perceive your environment. So that education, in terms of like how parents choose to to interact in around their kids, particularly around sporting events, and you're right, you see it so many times. 
you know, parents at games and you're kind of like, holy crap, like, in the back of your mind, like, what they're doing right now is pretty de detrimental to their kid. But again, going back to this concept of, you know, that uh, the environment shapes an organism, you know, th these parents are the way they are for a reason. It's probably because when they were that age, the age of their child, they had the very same treatment. So it's kind of like the blind leading the blind that they don't know any better. Um, you know, I, I always kind of jokingly say, you know, we're, we were kind of messed up by our parents, we were messed up by their parents, we were messed up by their parents. So it's kind of a vicious cycle. And it's about hopefully facilitating awareness in a person who can stop that cycle and, and, and you know, facilitate again more growth and, and uh, awareness and self-reliance and, and self-actualization in the people around them by first doing that with themselves. So definitely it's it's, it's, uh, it's, it's definitely an education thing, definitely, without question, you know. But as I said, it'll go back to all you can have for parents like that, again, is just forgiveness and unconditional love and, and just again, you just lead by example, and, and hopefully that 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 lead by example, you can be an energy source that facilitates that growth in other people. Yeah, Robbie, I think that's that's a key thing. Is that when, you know when we when we are with people and whatever we do, we need to be very mindful of that. That we are, and we should be leading by example. So yeah. therefore, everything we say and do is is should be open to scrutiny. Absolutely, and, and therein lies a key thing that we are highly we have very responsible roles and from many aspects you know there's there's great responsibilities there and we should be very careful in how we apply our trade yeah I, again i think and i think when people here lead by example they they feel a pressure then that they have to be this perfect individual all the time and that's not the case at all it's it's that like uh, facilitating these things of unconditional love and acceptance and compassion and empty for yourself it's not a destination. It's an ongoing journey. There, there's days you'll be much better at it than other days, and, and it's to it's to share that yeah. it's to share that message with everyone that listen here, human. What we're of course you're going to make mistakes, but it's it's to see these mistakes in a different light as, as opportunities to grow and not negative things that hold us back. And just finishing up here as well. I mean, if 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 feedback or if criticism were bad things, there'd be no such thing as evolution because that's what evolution is. Evolution comes up against a constraint. Which is, you know, AKA a, a constructive feedback, or, or uh, it's, um, it's, it's, yeah, it's, it's constructive feedback. And then evolution says, right, I have, how can I overcome this, and how can I go beyond this and evolve? And that's the whole evolution process, whether on a macro or micro scale, whether it's on a, a cosmic scale or an, an individual human being scale. So that's that was something myself and James Smith touched on that. You know, if you look, for instance, at our, at our brain structure, we had a reptilian brain, and that got us so far in our evolution, and then evolution turned around and said. You know, this, this brain isn't cutting it anymore, constructive feedback or negativity or criticism, if you will, and then came up with the, the, the limbic system, and then the limbic system got us so far. Evolution turned around and said, this is only going to get us so far. So another constructive criticism or, again, a, a sort of, uh, uh, you, know, some, you know, what people might have viewed as something negative, but it wasn't. It was just a constructive criticism. And then we finally evolved into our neocortex and our frontal lobe. So... Uh, to, to make mistakes and to get constructive feedback is just a process of evolution and it's, it just purely comes down to perception and as you touched on earlier Carol Dweck's book of the people growth versus fixed mindsets and if we can facilitate more growth mindsets in our, our, in, our, in our society I think we'll be doing great things for coaches and athletes alike Yeah Robbie you know and I think that's a great summary as well and again look I'm going to go back to some practical there you know when you're, when you're doing your project on that I mean your scope. I think you've, you've got all the topics there covered very nicely. I'd love to get a copy of that, by the way, for you. <laughs> you might even think of publishing it by, at the end of the day. 
That's great. Thank you. I really appreciate that, Liam. Liam, I'm going to let you go because I know your time is precious and I've, I've got another gentleman waiting to, to be interviewed here on the podcast. I wish I had more time with you and uh, I'd absolutely love to catch up with you personally, you know, whether whether if I drive down to meet you or if you're in Dublin and we meet for lunch, I'd, I'd absolutely love to, to make that happen. And uh, just want to say as well, I, I ramble a lot on my show and today my, my brain was a little bit off, so I, I apologize. I, I zoned in and out a few times, but uh I really appreciate you putting up with me rambling just as much as as uh, as I was I was allowing you to speak, and I really appreciate you making the time. It was fantastic. No, that's great, Robbie. And any time, and yeah, let's follow up with as as my good friend AK says, a civilized cup of tea in a conversation. <laughs> um, that that would be great to do. And look, please, let's do that. So I'll shoot you an email after this as well. Anyway, cool, and, cool. Um, I'm around for the next few weeks. Uh, then I'd be gone probably uh, mid June. But anyway, there we go. So look, great talking to you, Robbie. Yeah, you too, Liam. You take care, and definitely, I'd love that. I'm a, I'm very available for the first part of June, and uh, if I'll definitely travel down to meet you anywhere. So that'd be great. Uh, listen, you take care, and when this is up, I'll I'll send you the link in the email, and you can put it out and share it on social media, and share it out with the you know Santa College social media, and it'll get a good few downloads, no doubt. Great, Robbie. All listen, right. Thank you very much. Take care, Liam. Bye-bye. Bye. Okay, guys, what a great episode with uh, Dr. Liam Hennessy. Fantastic episode. Definitely wasn't uh, fully on my game today. My, my head, I zoned out once or twice, uh, rushing in from from uh, from the college earlier on when I did this interview with Liam. We had exams on and maybe just need to get some calories into me to get my brain function well. But I got all my points across that I wanted to get across. Uh, and by the way, James spoke the governing dynamics of uh, coaching a unified field theory of sports preparation was the name of that book so uh, guys thanks for listening Uh, i'll talk to you all soon take care be well and stay strong